I'd like some, you know, <clears throat> condoms. Uh-oh, here we go again. Trojan Band. Have a horse in aisle six, aisle seven. Trojan Band. Greetings, pharmacological citizens. Sorry about the store damage. No problem. But I had to rush over with these. Here, read the box. Trojan ribbed condoms with spermicidal lubricant? Indeed so. Ribbed for mutual pleasure, spermicidal lubricant for extra pregnancy protection. Gosh, give me a box of those. I just did. Oh. Now, where are the comic books? My horse needs something to read. I'll nine. Thank you. And please, keep in touch. Be a Trojan man. For mutual pleasure and extra protection, try Trojan brand ribbed latex condoms with spermicidal lubricant. Trojan, America's most trusted brand of condoms. Another public service announcement from Real Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you tuned into the ravings of a clown on Chester Radio. <laughs> The complete solution for your home PC. Hey, 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 ladies, hey, good evening, welcome to the Ravings of the Club, oh, yo, yo, hello, my name is the Jimmy the Pop, I'm a dumb white guy, I'm not old or new, but middle Come on in, come on in, have a seat, sit down, make yourself to home. Hung like planet Pluto. You can call mom, cook him. You can call mom, cook him. The roof, the roof, the roof is on the fire. Ready to burn. Burn, motherfucker. Right. Hey, welcome to the shoe. It's your old pal, the Jester, coming to you from a secret location outside your universe. And such a show we have for you this evening, as Grandma Jester would say. We got uh, Jackson Brown and Paul Simon and Harry Chapin and Peter Paul and Mary and Tom Rush. We got Janice Ian and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. We got Cat Stevens. We got so much. There's not even. I just have to better start. I have to shut up right now and just start playing music nonstop. That's how much music we got. 
Plus, we're going to look at what's going on in that sick fucking world of yours. Stump the Jester, give us a call, 646-502-8600. See if I can't uh, recite those lyrics. Uh, also, anything else you may have on your mind, make requests. Tell us what you want to hear. We'll get it on the air within 15 minutes, or I have my left testicle surgically removed. Live on air without the benefit of anesthesia. Also, the Jester Radio chat room is now wide open. Stop by at www.jesterradio.com and uh, make yourself to home. It's a little comfortable place we like to call the chat room. It's time to turn our attention. That was <laughs> that was me doing that like seventies funky music, like that funky porno music. You know what I'm talking about? That was me. That was me doing that. This is why I desperately need sound effects. Uh, speaking of sound effects. Time now for the uh, news. Coming to you from a secret location outside your universe. Hi, it's up to just the radio. In a secret location. Chicken. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Barack Obama reached out for his ninth straight victory over Hillary Rodham Clinton this evening in the Wisconsin primary a blue-collar battleground and prelude to larger industrial states yet to vote in the Democratic presidential race. Well, we got ourselves a horse race here, folks. Looks like this boy has come from behind. And I don't mean boy in the sense that he's a nigger. I mean boy in the sense that he's black. The economy and trade were key issues in the state, according to interviews with Democratic primary voters as they left their polling places. Seven in ten said international trade had resulted in lost jobs in Wisconsin. Fewer than one in five said trade had created more jobs than it had lost. Independents cast about one quarter of the ballots in the race between Obama and Clinton. Roughly 15% of the electorate were first-time voters, according to the survey. Obama has run uh, strongly among independents in earlier primaries and among younger voters as well. Wisconsin offered 74 conventional delegates. There were 20 delegates at stake in caucuses in Hawaii where Obama spent part of his youth. Obama began the uh, night with uh, 1,281 delegates in the AP count, and Clinton had 1,218 and it takes 2025 to win the nomination of the uh, party's national convention in Denver. Republican frontrunner John McCain hoped to inch closer to wrapping up the GOP nomination in primaries in Wisconsin and Washington. With uh, 56 delegates at stake, the Arizona senator has 908 delegates, and his closest remaining rival, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, has 245, and Ron Paul has 14. So I don't think he's... I don't think he's too worried. I think he's got it. He's got it in the bag. But we got ourselves a genuine horse race here with uh, Hill and uh, Barack. He has twenty. He has the twelve eighty one compared to her twelve eighteen. So there you go. And they're both about halfway there. So. A little more than halfway there. So we got ourselves a horse race. What do you say? 
Finally, something something to keep me interested. Uh, now that Fidel Castro has retired, you heard me. Many Cubans are looking to his brother to let more people open businesses, own homes, and even travel abroad. But it'll probably fall to a new generation of leaders to ultimately fulfill or frustrate their dreams of prosperity. Everybody in Cuba was thinking, oh, wow, you know, life here is so great. But wouldn't it be great if we were allowed to, like, travel or or own a house, you know, but let's keep electing Castro president. Of course, that's what they would have us believe since he wins by like a 98% margin every year. During his um, one and a half years as acting president, 76-year-old Raul Castro has hinted at reform but made very few major changes. A reticence may see as a sign of respect for his beloved, more doctrinaire older brother who survived despite the efforts of 10 U.S. presidents to bring him down. And while hoping that Raul and his likely number two, Carlos Log, will advocate for change, they wonder how that will fly with Fidel, who stepped down but didn't go away. There has to be some change, more freedom with Raul, said Andre, 63, who, like many Cubans, wouldn't give his last name for fear of reprisal when talking about the Castro brothers. Uh, the other one has always ripped uh, that off at the bud. The resignation announced uh, today should give Raul Castro the autonomy he's lacked in the government uh, um, as a caretaker since Fidel was sickened by intestinal surgery in July of 2006. The younger Castro raised expectations of openings in the state-controlled economy with his reported fascination with Chinese-style capitalism, called for unspecified structural changes, and acknowledged that governmental wages... Averaging $19 a month do not satisfy basic needs. He also encouraged Cubans to open a fearless and critical debate as long as they remember that the final decisions will be made by the island's communist leaders. That's the, uh, that way we reach decisions, and I'm talking about big decisions, he told student leaders in 2006. Many Cubans want to hear... Morris, can you imagine the way these guys are, the way they get up and talk in front of children? I mean, you know, we just take these things for granted. When we hear our leaders stand up, uh, you know, at a commencement ceremony or a high school graduation, you know, they always say, the world is your fucking oyster. You can go out there and do whatever you want. Here's my story. I started out as a snot-nosed little kid and... You know, and they told me I couldn't make it and, you know, against all odds. What the fuck do these people tell the children? You know, come up with great ideas, but, uh, you know, don't worry. The government will decide what's to implement and, you know, what's not to implement. And, you know, uh, work and struggle hard. But, you know, don't expect, that, you know, to get any reward because, uh, you know, you're, you know, living for the collective, not for your own self-satisfaction. How do you talk to children and look them in the face and tell them, you know, that, that they have a lifetime ahead of them of, you know, of kowtowing to the, to the state? This is what we needed. I hope to God people have more freedom, the freedom to have opinions and always speak their minds. 37-year-old Lydas Perez said after dropping off her son at school, people talk in the hallways or in the back rooms. There's a lot of fear. Fidel Castro, however, insisted in his resignation letter today that he won't disappear or stay quiet if he sees his revolution going astray. 
This is not my farewell to you, he wrote. My only wish is to fight as a soldier in the battle of ideas. I shall continue to write under this title, Reflections of Comrade Fidel. It will be another weapon you can count on. Perhaps my voice will be heard. Let me tell you, this guy's been fighting this revolution, this so-called revolution, for, you know, 70 years now, or 50 years, I should say. If it hasn't worked by now, what? What's the revolution for? Who is he revolting against now? A leading candidate is Log, the de facto prime minister, who at 56 is a full generation younger than the Castros. He's among the most experienced leaders in a power structure dominated by septuagenarian former rebels, and he has built a reputation as a reformer. Less likely possibility could emerge from a handful of leaders in their 30s and 40s, such as Foreign Minister Philippe Perez Roque, whose communist fervor earned him the collective nickname of the Young Taliban's. While no less loyal to the elder Castro, Log was uh, the architect of reforms that saved the island from economic collapse in the early 1990s. He moves um, uh, this the stuff that he you know did that he implemented allowed foreign investments in state enterprises a measure of self-employment and the legal use of the U.S. dollar. Raúl Castro appears to get along with Log who is quiet, pragmatic, an organizer like himself. Raul backed Log's earlier reform proposals, especially uh, farmers' markets where excess crops are sold at uh, market prices. So this is, you know, everybody was waiting for the old man to kick off, and they were just going to sort of, you know, m- m- you know kind of move in. Um, you know, I, I think there was this almost this expectation that, you know, uh, like after Dorothy liquidated the witch, you know, all, the spell would be broken, you know, and they'd say, you killed her. Dorothy, you know, says, uh, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. They're like, no, no, no. We wanted you to kill her. We hate her. We just, you know, we've just been marching around saying, oh, whoa, because she, you know, obviously she beats us if we don't. The Bush administration is ruling out any changes in its Cuba policy, including lifting a five-decade trade embargo after Fidel's uh, resignation today, deriding his brother as heir apparent, Raul, as dictator light. Despite having openly wished for Castro's demise and the end of his rule for years, U.S. officials said today that Castro's decision to step down on his own terms leaves little hope for real democratic transition in communist Cuba during Bush's final year in office, although may open options for his successor in the White House. Yeah, what made them think that Castro was going to make it <laughs> easy? I mean, like, did they actually think that he was going to go, okay, I'm dying now. Okay, democracy, go ahead, go. Everybody can have that democracy now. I'm dying and go, vote. Everybody vote. Led by President Bush, of course, of course he was going to do whatever he could to perpetuate you know, his vision, his perverted vision of, you know, society uh, in, in perpetuity. Led by President Bush, a chorus of officials expressed hope that Castro's departure would sp- spark fundamental change for the Cuban people, but they also said they doubted that would happen under Raul Castro and said there was little chance the nearly 50-year-old U.S. embargo on Cuba would be lifted. And by the way, did they not know about the brother? 
I mean, if they were wishing that Castro would step down and the government would magically turn over to a democracy, what did they think was going to happen with the brother? Did they not know about him? You would think they would have heard. They're the ones who suffered under Fidel Castro, Bush told news conference in Rwanda. They're the ones who were put in prison because of their beliefs. They're the ones who have been denied their right to live in a free society. So I view this as a period of transition, and it should be the beginning of the democratic transition in Cuba. What? <laughs> so because he sees it as transition and he figures it's going to happen that way, I got an idea for George Bush. Why doesn't he just invade Cuba? I mean, wouldn't the world be better off without uh, Fidel Castro? Isn't that what he said? Isn't that how he rationalized invading Iraq? And let me tell you something. Now with Russia being on the fritz, they're going to have a lot less <laughs> opposition over there. They could overrun Cuba, and I say, I, I would say give it an hour and 45 minutes. They're driving around all our cars from the 50s. They don't get cars over there, so they have to keep, you know, these 50-, 60-year-old cars going. It's going to be automatic uh, democracy. Eventually, the transition ought to lead to free and fair elections, and I would mean free, and I mean fair, not those kind of staged elections that the Castro brothers try to foist off as true democracy, Bush said. The United States will help the people of Cuba realize the blessings of liberty. Again, where, what? what wh where does he think that this transition is going to occur? How does he think? I mean, is he so s stupid or obtuse or naive? I mean, what is wrong with this guy? We're, we're, we, he certainly he must have heard the same news bulletin we heard that uh, Fidel Castro's very conservative uh, dictator brother is taking over, and now he's just sort of talking blithely away, like can't wait till there's a democracy down in Cuba. We can go down and get the cigars again. Who wants a cigar? Raise your hand. Even as U.S. lawmakers suggested Castro's retirement should set off a review of U.S. policy center, senior State Department officials in Washington said there would be no lifting of the embargo, which has been the centerpiece of the American policy towards Cuba since it was first imposed in 1960 and then strengthened in 1962. Can't imagine that happening anytime soon, said Deputy Secretary uh, of State John Negroponte. The alien Castro, who is 81 and has called the embargo criminal, claims his impact has run into the tens of billions of dollars, announced earlier today that he would not accept another term in office <laughs> when Parliament meets to elect a new president this weekend. He won't accept. I will not accept and will not seek. The endorsement of my party as candidacy for electorate. Castro um, outlasted nine U.S. presidents who, with some minor policy adjustments, have steadily ramped up the pressure on Cuba. At least two secretaries of state, Madeleine Albright and Colin Powell, said publicly while in office that they hoped the actuarial tables would catch up with the aging Cuban leader who was a persistent thorn in Washington's side. Longstanding U.S. Uh, image... Um, Irritation with Castro was evident today with officials uh, stressing they were not optimistic for any kind of quick change under Raul, to whom Fidel ceded power temporarily back in 2006. So, so we, we all know that uh, the power is just shifting from one despot to another, but George Bush is glad and hopeful 
that the, uh, you know, democracy can take over. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Chester Radio. Why, it's Tuesday, February the 19th, the year of our Lord, 2008. So very glad you could stop by. Give us a call, 646-502-8600. You know what it is. It's a tough-ass life. It's a hard-knock life. Leave it where it is. You're on Jester Radio. Don't fuck with that dial.
Yeah, not just for kids either, but for all of us. Hey, you're listening to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio. It's Tuesday, February the 19th, the year of our Lord, 2017. Got something to say about it? Give us a call, 646-502-8600, and you may find yourself surprisingly live on the air with your old pal, the Jester. Or stop by the Jester Radio chat room if you don't feel like speaking up at www.jesterradio.com. Click on where it says chat. Follow the simple uh, to use instructions for joining in the fun. And uh, we'll just uh, love to have you. I know what a lot of people say. They say, Jess, what's with all the dead air? Why do you have all this... with nobody talking and let me tell you when you pay as much for this shit as I do you have to try and hold it in as long as humanly possible I knew you'd understand soldiers heading to war this summer are likely to see their tours shortened from 15 to 12 months even if troop cuts in Iraq are uh, suspended in July as expected the uh, Army's top general said today, General George Casey said that while his for- forces are strained by nearly seven years at war, the Army can maintain 15 combat brigades in battle for at least a couple of months after July, while military commanders assess the situation in Iraq. Go lay down, horse. The jester mud is uh, vying for my attention. Every time the microphone light goes on, she comes over. Lay down, horse. Don't give me that look. Seven years uh, we've been going on with this war. It's uh, almost twice as long as World War II, or the Americans' involvement in World War II. Almost twice as long. And, you know, we're getting into, like, one of these, like, it's not even a war. It's a generation will grow up on this war. And that's really what they're trying to do, isn't it? They're trying to fu- you know, mind fuck us until we just don't know any time there wasn't a, a war. Uh, the, if you read 1984, H.G. Wells says the way to uh, keep people um, you know, in, in um, a constant state of war because it keeps, the, it keeps them in sacrifice mode. You know, you have to constantly be, you know, let's give it up for our country. And, you know, we have to give up our liberties and give up our conveniences. And as long as they have us giving shit up, because it's just an emergency right now. When the emergency's over, then, you know, the extreme measures will be over. But, of course, the emergency will never be over. They keep this, you know, another thing in 1984 Wells talked about was keeping this perpetual enemy, you know, hovering over that was a, um, of this, you know, fictitious um, uh, bad guy named Emmanuel Goldstein in the book. And, you know, everybody hated his guts. And uh, he was, you know, a super bad guy. And But he was just invented by the government to, uh, you know, to focus... Uh, everybody, you know, it's the story of the, the, the tail wagging the dog. You know, and maybe there is no Bin Laden. Have you seen Zeitgeist, the movie? Have you seen Loose Change? There's, there's really, you know, a lot more intelligent, articulate arguments um, that are growing. Again, you know, uh, 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 that to promote the idea that 
9-11 was a false flag operation. And I've seen live debates where the people that I thought were going to be very good and very skeptical uh, sucked. And the people who were putting forth this crazy argument that the government, you know, may have been behind 9-11, uh, you know, put forth a really uh, uh, sensible, articulate uh, argument that's worth thinking about. And honestly, do you put it past these fucking people? I mean, these are not normal people. You say to yourself, no, nobody could do that, you know, but come on, man. We know for a fact that people can do that. Look at the Fidel Castro's. Look at the Saddam Hussein's. Look at the Adolf Hitler's. You think it can't happen to you? You think it can't happen in your country? Let me tell you something. 11 million Europeans, 6 million of them Jews, thought the same thing. And that was only like, you know, 60, 70 years ago. It wasn't like a million years ago. It was in your own parents' lifetime. It was in your own grandparents' childhood. Your grandparents, who are still alive, who you talk to all the time. It happened while they were alive, when they were young. So there's some badass fucking people out there. And you look at that George Bush, man. You look at that Dick Cheney. You look at those fucking people, man. You see that 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 sneer on their faces. That that uh, 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 that disdain that they have for you and the and the American people. Don't doubt for a second, man, that they're capable of that shit. Hey, don't fuck with that doll. You're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. I think it's fine, you know, building jumbo planes, taking a ride on cosmic trains. Switch off summer from a slot machine. You can get what you want if you want it. Because you can get anything. It's not H.G. Wells. It's not 1984. Didn't I say that? Was was not H.G. Wells? No, of course he's the science fiction writer. It was uh, it was uh, Orson Welles. <laughs> As Poe wants to know what I'm smoking, well, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's a lovely blend. I think it was George Orwell. And you know, but even better than 1984, even better than the uh, the the one about the animals in the in the zoo in the farm. George Orwell wrote a book called "Keep the Aspidistra uh, Keep the Aspidistra Flying," which is about the struggle of middle class. You know, it's a really um, interesting look uh, into this sort of. Um, caste we have in society that 90% of these people live in not poor but you know no hope of ever being rich and they just fucking you know like George Carlin said you know the 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 job of the of the um, lower class is to overthrow the upper class and the job of the upper class is to keep the lower class showing up for all them jobs because let me tell you something man I know from personal experience I've seen it with my own two eyes the people that are, with all the money, the 1% who have 90% of the money, they're not really working at jobs. Not the way you and I think of jobs. They're not shoveling shit against the tide, you know, doing something 
uh, where they'll never get ahead. They just work, you know, a few minutes here, a couple of hours there, go show up at a meeting. It's not the way you and I think of work. So they really do, can, they really can, you know, get ahead. They really can make progress. Unlike you and me. We're stuck on our little fucking treadmill. That's the way they want us, showing up for all those jobs. But where do the children play? That's what I'm asking. Hey, don't fuck with that doll. You're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio, coming to you from a secret location outside your universe. Children play. Hey, hey, hey. 
the incredible, incomparable Diana Ross and the Supremes and Love Child. That's all about, you know, a child that's a, a product of a relationship out of wedlock. We had all these weird euphemisms. Bastards, love children, as if they're like, it's some like weird thing to have a child out of wedlock. We did it for millions of years. And then for this like teeny tiny little period uh, after, you know, the church came forward and said, no, 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 nobody, everybody stop having sex on their own. Now you have to be consecrated by God in order to build a family and start having sex. Uh, and then uh, after that, it was like became such a stigma. I remember even as a kid thinking, what could possibly be wrong? You know, apparently I somehow escaped this um, this like weird guilt, you know, that that we pass to our children um, about doing anything, you know, without God's approval. Somehow I like slipped through that. It just didn't affect me. I didn't care. I thought they were like kidding. I thought they were like. Be, be, you know, like, I thought they were, they were, they were, it was a euphemism, you know. I didn't realize that they were actually saying there's a real God and you really can't, you know, have sex and never occurred to me. It was too absurd. And so I think I, I sort of slipped through the cracks on that one, luckily, because I never did care less what, you know, God, you know, there's that uh, famous um, Blaise Pascal's uh, wager. Pascal's bet, you know, that it's always better to to think that there is a God because, you know, if you're going to wager between the two, that's the safest bet. <laughs> so you should just live your whole life as if there is a God just in case, uh, you know, and of course, once we start applying that to all the other possible, you know, states of the universe and the provisions we would have to make for them, it starts getting a little uh, difficult, unwieldy to say the least. You see where I'm going. So, I just, um, I just think that uh, we somehow got tied up with this religious thing. And you know, um, we're, you know we're, we're a sort of a species of, um, I would say trends or fads, but you know, this that that really understates it. If you go to Japan, they are the most unabashed um, sort of fad-oriented culture. Where whenever somebody does, you know, like in 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 Japan, when the Rubik cube came out, they actually sold a Rubik cube for every single citizen of the country. When you think about market potential for an item, you think about a demographic, an age range, a geographic location, some percentage of them, and you come up with, you know, in marketing, you come up with some tenth of a fraction of a tiny, you know, bit. They call that market share. But if you can imagine that the Rubicube became such a, uh, a, a craze, and I really don't use that word lightly in Japan, that they actually sold one piece for every citizen of the country, for every man, woman, and child living in Japan, they sold a Rubik's Cube. You know, hard to imagine. Uh, but this is the kind of people we are. We're sort of um, monkey see, monkey do. And we really, everybody wants to be like the next guy, and they think it's cool, and everybody wants to join in. I remember, you know, even looking back now at when we were kids, um, thinking we were so funky and individual and we wore 
blue jeans and T-shirts and sneakers, you know, in a situation where our folks would have worn a suit and tie. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, my parents made us wear a suit and tie, you know, to get on an airplane. And uh, to think, you know, that I sort of uh, thought of myself as being this, like, radical kind of person that I was, like, dressing, you know, casually. And then I, I look around, I, I think back now and realize, like, that everybody my age is wearing a T-shirt and, 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 and blue jeans. It was a uniform. It was our uniform, in fact. That's how you recognized which ones we, who we were in the crowd. We were the heads. We were the ones with the frayed jeans. You know, we didn't, we didn't get the jeans uh, uh, tailored. We just frayed them to, uh, to, to length. I don't know. Hey, you're listening to the Rovings of Acclaim on Just Radio. Why not give us a call and share your thoughts and feelings on the subject uh, whatever that may be, 646-502-8600, 646-502-8600. I'm sure there's something I'm saying that's pissing you off. And if not, then nigger, nigger, nigger. There you go. I'm sure that had got you hot under the collar. And thank you, by the way, Robert has prepared me a lovely cup of tea of vanilla chamomile tea and I know what you're thinking you're thinking didn't they have anything more gay in the store hey you're live on the air with uh, Jester Radio hi may I speak to the Jester please you're speaking directly with the Mr. Jester himself live right now on the air are we playing Stump the Jester welcome sir Stump the Jester of course I just need the first verse of this song. I can never figure out what the lyrics are. Go ahead, whip it on me, son. Song by Bob Seger called Night Moves. I was a little too tall. Could have used a few pounds. Tight pants. Points. Here Uh, comes the fun part. Now, uh, 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 there's a huge uh, dialogue uh, uh, going back, you know, 25 years over this next two words. Um, what I've heard and what I continue to hear is hauling around. And if you listen to the lyrics, I believe you'll hear that too. Tight pants, points. What are points? Points, I think, are, are the style of shoe. Exactly. You know, he was from Michigan, um, which basically means white trash. Mechanic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or working in the automobile industry somehow. And he's got points that he's hauling around? Well, I don't know if he's hauling the points around or if he's just sort of going them from place to place. That's what he means by hauling around. In other words, it's a list. Tight pants, points, hauling around. That's yeah. that, that. What else did you That hear? describes his, his life experience at that time and place. What else? What are the lyrics? Can that be? Um, you know what? I forget. There's been a lot. I looked lo- online and it said har- hardly renowned. Yeah, hardly renowned is a is a I guess a common. Um, it, 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 you know, I I I don't believe I've ever actually seen the printed um, music, but it seems from from knowing you know every word of uh, Bob Seger music, it just seems um, uncharacteristic to have that be the lyric. 
knowing his writing as well as I do and, you know, being a writer myself just doesn't seem hardly renowned. I don't know. Okay, I got a trivia question for you. Go ahead. Night Moves is a response to a Bruce Springsteen tune. You heard a tune by Springsteen and said, I want to write a tune like that. Yeah, uh, I believe I've heard that story too. I believe he was refer you're referring to his his Thunder Road. That's right. Is probably what uh, and you know Br uh, Bob Seger was yet another uh, the next Bob Dylan like Springsteen and you know so many other people. He and was Bob Seger was, yeah. He was a Bob Dylan? He was. He was another Bob Dylan because he had lyrics. He had good lyrics, but he, had, he rocked a little harder. Well, you know, Dylan rocked he sure did. But Loudon Wainwright, John Prine, Steve Forbert did. You didn't even let me get to the next line, which was, she was the black-haired beauty with big dark eyes, points all her own, setting way up high, way up firm and high. So that was a, from, from me when I was 16 years old, hearing those lyrics, when he was quite obviously referring to her... Boobies? Her, her not just you know tits, but the pointing up. You know, like in um, Soldier in the Rain, where Jackie Gleason says to, uh, um, you Steve know, McQueen. Steve McQueen, you know, that their breasts are, or the nipples are always pointing up, and Steve McQueen's eyes, like, roll up in <laughs> his head, like, they, they point up, Eustace? <laughs> so, not all my listeners know that the, the closing line, um, you know, um, Every night is from that movie until that time, Eustace. Well, there goes that trivia question. So, uh, thanks very much for calling in, bud. Bye bye. All right, that was S. Poe uh, phoning into Jester Radio, a good friend, uh, just uh, shooting the shit. And it's so easy for you to get in on the fun. Simply give us a call at 646 502 8600, and uh, you'll, Shoot the shit with you. Come on, I know you want to. All right, what's next? What do we got? Really? Well, I. this is true. I do believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. That's the secret with the children. Show them what they got inside. Is GB on JR. Please don't fuck with that dial. It gets good. Starting right now. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my need A lonely place to be So I learned to depend on me I 
listening to me
points all her own, sudden way up high. Way up firm and high. Out past the cornfields where the woods got heavy. Out in the back seat of my 60 Chevy. Working on mysteries without any clues. Working on a night moves. Trying to make some front page driving news. Working on a night move. In the summertime. Some high in the sky, some We were just young and restless and bored Living by the sword And we'd steal away every chance we could to the back room, to the alley, or the trusty woods I used to have she used me, but neither one cared We were getting our share Working on our nightmare Trying to lose an awkward teenage blues Working on a nightmare And it was summertime Sweet summertime, summertime And it's funny how the night moves When you just don't seem to have as much to lose Strange how the night moves With autumn closing in Is that it? We need to get a 
We need to get a better copy of that one. Bob Seger on Jester Radio. Ain't it funny how you remember? What a brilliant fucking song. Whether he's saying hardly renown or hauling around or holly the noun. It's a, just a mind-boggling song, not the least of which because it starts out, the song Night Moves is a fantastic, beautiful, luscious play on words. At first, he's talking about his moves, you know, in the back seat of a 60 Chevy and his moves, working on, you know, mysteries without any clues, working on my night moves. And then at, at the end, he says, you know, I woke last night to the sound of thunder how far off I, I sat and wondered. Started humming a song from 1962. Ain't it funny how the night moves when you just don't seem to have as much to lose? Strange how the night moves. So first we're talking about his moves, and then later we're talking about how the night actually moves. It gets away from you. Your, your youth fades and gets away from you. Everything does. Youth is just another one of those things. And and then I'll tell you another amazing thing about the song is that it's all in dialect. It's all in colloquial English. It's not it's all, which is also what makes it a lot like D- Dylan-esque. It's not in poetic or schmetic or lyrical words. It's um you know, it, he doesn't say we weren't in love. He says we weren't in love. Oh, no, far from it. We weren't searching for some pie-in-the-sky summit, whatever the fuck that is, even. We was just young and restless and bored, living by the sword, and we'd steal away every chance we could to back rooms or alley or trusty woods. I used her, she used me, but neither one cared. We was getting our share, working on the night moves, trying to lose those... Awkward teenage blues. Just fucking awesome. George Benson started that set with the greatest love of all. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown this Tuesday, February the 19th, the year of our Lord, 2008. Soldiers heading to war this summer are likely to see their tours shortened from 15 to 12 months, even if... Troop cuts in Iraq are suspended in July, as expected. General George Casey said that while his forces are strained by nearly seven years at war, seven years at war, what are we going to fucking do about this? We're all just numb. And we're talking about how the rotations are going to work in the future. They are currently building as we sit here and talk the largest military base in the world to permanently live there. It's bigger than most towns in America. And by the way, reports are coming out. It's at the detriment of, uh, of the United States because they're taking these army reservists uh, uh, you know, away from the U.S. And this is why there's nobody here to deal with uh, the problems and, you know, whenever there's a fucking hurricane or a disaster and you need the military or the army reserves, they're all in Iraq. You know, uh, and if you can't, you know, supply enough soldiers 
to this f- folly over there, plus you know the requisite amount in the United States, then you have to have a draft, and that that'll fucking end the war pretty soon. An attempt to blast a crippled U.S. spy satellite after, out of the sky using a Navy heat-seeking missile, possibly tomorrow night, would be the first real-world use of this piece of the Pentagon's missile defense network. But this is not the mission for which it's intended. Now the the Pentagon has been going around saying that there's this super-secret uh, space satellite flying around up in space. We can't let it fall down. God forbid it's got this uh, hydrogenium. In it, I think that's the stuff they put in certs that make your breath very fresh. And it's apparently toxic at large quantities. In small quantities, it tastes just like blueberries. Mm-hmm. In big quantities, they use it to remove the barnacles from steam from from uh, uh, cruise liners. So. Pentagon has, you know, been telling the whole world, oh, we have this, we have to blast it out of the sky. God knows what we're going to do. And obviously, this is just a big cover up for um, the United States government wanting to show off its technology at the same time, test it, but at the same time, show it off, put the rest of the world on notice, uh, you know, that we will blast this thing out of the sky. You know, uh, the, the United States is going to twirl figuratively twirl its uh, its six shooter and holster it and you know blow the <laughs> blow the end of it you know and holster it there and <laughs> walk away it's the way they're going to show the world you know hey don't fuck with us the attempted shoot down already approved by president bush is seen by some as blurring the lines between defending against a weapon like a long range missile and targeting satellites in orbit, the three-stage Navy missile designated the SM-3 has chalked up a high rate of success in a series of tests since 2002. In each case, targeting a short or medium-range ballistic missile, never a satellite, a hurry-up program to adapt the missile for this anti-satellite mission was completed in a matter of weeks. Navy officials say the changes will be reversed once the satellite is down. The government issued notices to aviators and mariners to remain clear of a section of the Pacific beginning at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday. See, why do they give the time in Eastern when it's on the Pacific? Hmm. Indicating the first window of opportunity to launch the SM-3 missile from a Navy cruiser, the USS Lake Erie, in an effort to hit the wayward satellite. Having lost power shortly after it reached orbit in late 2006, satellite is well below the altitude of a normal satellite. The Pentagon wants to hit it with an SM-3 missile just before it re-enters Earth's atmosphere. So uh, in that way, it will minimize the amount of debris that will remain in space. They want the debris to come down on Earth. Crazy. So left alone, the satellite would be expected to hit the Earth during the first week of March. About half of the 5,000-pound spacecraft would be expected to survive. Its blazing descent through the atmosphere would scatter debris over several hundred miles. Known by its military designation, US-193, the satellite was launched in December of 2006, lost power, and its central computer failed almost immediately afterward, leaving it uncontrollable 
carried a sophisticated and secret imaging sensor. And uh, the cost of adapting the Navy anti-missile system for shutting down the mission, uh, for, for, for sh- uh, shooting down this um, a satellite, it was 30 to $40 million. And, you know, if this is true, <laughs> would were that it were that it were, but imagine, you know, like Santa Claus is kidnapped and, you know, all of the uh, top brass, you know, get together at the U.N. and they say, you know, let's adapt to this missile so that it shoots down, you know, uh, it's just a, too much of a fantasy. It sounds like something from a superhero comic. But most likely it's a demonstration. They, you know, th- th- this, this thing's only been up there a year and a half. Most likely they put it up there. It's a hollowed out shell. They just, you know, and then they went, oh no, look, uh, the, it, uh, the, the batteries went dead. Damn. And then a couple of years later they go, oh, what? It's getting dangerously close. And yet it's filthy with uranium, which is made from human urine. And it contains secrets. We can't have anybody uh, get a hold of. So let's shoot it out of the sky. (whistles) That's right. I know what you're thinking. Have I shot five shots or six? And in all this confusion, I tell you the truth, I can't remember myself. You gotta ask yourself, do you feel lucky? Punk! That's my imitation there, right there. Dirty Harry. Meanwhile, an attempt to blast the U.S., uh, the crippled U.S. spy satellite out of the sky using a Navy heat seeking missile, possibly tomorrow night, would be the first uh, real world use of this, um, of the Pentagon's missile defense network, and that's what this is. This is the missile defense network. It's Star Wars. It's what these people have been dreaming about ever since the beginning of time. These lunatics of creating a bubble, a shell over the country so that they can protect us, so that we're immune from any enemy, whatever. Former middle school teacher was sent to prison for six years today for having sexual encounters with five teenage boys. Authority said Alina Ward... 24, met um, 14 and 15-year-old boys at the school where she taught, um, as well uh, as at a motel and in a park and behind a restaurant. You imagine 24-year-old chick fucking her students. Can you imagine these 14, 15-year-old kids, how lucky they were? And they weren't just fucking her. In a hotel, they were fucking her behind the restaurant. Oh, my God. These are memories that they'll take to their deathbed long after they forget everything else. They'll be remembering that. I apologize from the depths of my heart, she said in court. Police began investigating last year after school officials found a note believed to have been written by uh, Ward to one of the boys. Some of the victims were students at the Bell Street Middle School in Clinton where Ward taught she was uh, fired about a year ago. Victims. 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 (laughs) Victims. <laughs> Ward pleaded guilty in September to three counts of second-degree criminal sexual contact with a minor and three lewd acts at, on a minor. Let me tell you something. As a person who had sex with a teacher, uh, there's no victimization here, folks. If anything, the teacher was the victim. 
Forensic psychiatrist Diana Schwartz-Watts said Ward is not a pedophile, but rather a childlike victim suffering from personality disorders and a repressed childhood. Plus, she likes the young cock. Schwartz-Watts said the ministry's uh, daughter, minister's daughter, lived a sheltered life, but really was a free spirit. We never got a chance to break away from her family. That's her medical opinion. It's the free spirit defense. Prosecutors painted Ward's crimes in a harsher light, said she violated the trust that parents place in their teachers. Some of the victim's families attended the sentencing, but not to speak during the court hearing. It just uh, feels like justice has been served, the sister of one victim said of of the hearing. We're just glad it's all over. Just Radio did not nor- does not normally identify uh, victims, of course, of sex crimes. Um, but uh, Ward's lawyer, Honald Donald Hawker, cited the psychiatric testimony in asking for a home imprisonment for his client. Hawker said Ward will be vulnerable to physical and emotional abuse at the hands of other prisoners. It's an awful case with awful consequences. But Alina Ward is not an awful woman, Hawker said in court. And he kept going like this. He declined to speak to a reporter because he was having a hawker. He was trying to get up a hawker. He declined to speak to uh, a Jester Radio reporter after the hearing. Ward was sentenced to 15 years in prison for each lewd act count, but the punishments were uh, um, suspended to six years. She was also sentenced to six years on each second-degree criminal sexual conduct count, and the sentences are to run run concurrently at the same time. So it's like one six-year sentence for having sex with a 14-year-old kid. She was 24. They were 14. They were victims. Man, I, you know, I hate to you know, be like sexist or like, uh, you know, but I'm just not feeling the pain. You know, please call me and correct me, you know, if you're a woman and you, you know, understand this or if you're a guy, you know, better if you're a guy. In fact, I'm begging. Some guy who would feel victimized by their 24-year-old teacher by having sex with them, keeping in mind now that one of them had sex behind the restaurant with the teacher, and they were 15, and she was 24. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I know it sounds like I'm doing my imitation of Paul Lind. But I think you know what I'm talking about. Scientists investigating the icy waters of Antarctica said today that they have collected mysterious creatures, including giant sea spiders and huge worms in the murky depths. Australian experts taking part in an international program to take a census of marine life in the ocean at the far south of the world collected specimens from up to 6,000 feet below the surface and said many have never been seen before. Can you imagine? These creatures live 6,000 feet below the surface. Humans have never laid eyes on them. Some of the animals far under the sea growth to unusually large sizes, a phenomenon called gigantism that scientists still do not fully understand. Gigantism is very common in Antarctic waters. Martin Riddle, the Australian Antarctic Division scientist who led the expedition, said in a statement, we have collected huge worms, giant crustaceans, and sea spiders the size of dinner plates. Well, it's not hard to understand. Obviously, if the, if the um, environment is extreme, if it's extremely cold or extremely hot, then the larger size would help them survive. Duh. 
The specimens are being uh, sent to universities and museums around the world for identification, tissue sampling, and DNA studies. Not all the creatures that we found could be identified, and it's very likely that some new species will be recorded. As a result of these voyages, said Graham Hosey, head of the Census Project, the expedition is part of an ambitious international effort to map life forms in the Antarctic Ocean, also known as the Southern Ocean, and to study the impact of forces such as climate change on the undersea environment. Can you imagine if this is all we did, if everybody all over the world, all they ever had to worry themselves with was getting together on urgent scientific issues to investigate, you know, the condition of the world. Can you imagine if that's what our foreign policy was all about? What kind of world? And I just say imagine because, you know, every change has to begin with the imagined result. Before you even go in and take a uh, guitar lesson, you know, you have to imagine yourself playing the guitar. It's the only way that we're able to do things, these difficult, uh, you know, life-changing things. You know, that first fucking step is brutal. It's almost impossible. According to a 911 call released by fire officials, Brad Renfro's girlfriend tried to revive the troubled actor after finding him unresponsive at his Los Angeles home. On the recording, a woman tells a dispatcher she's been trying to wake up Renfro for an audition, but he won't move. She says Renfro's nose is bleeding, mentions he may have taken a few pills the night before. She tries to give him CPR after being instructed to do so by the dispatcher. Before the paramedics arrived, fire officials released the tape today. Renfro died back in January 15th of an overdose of heroin and morphine. He had publicly struggled with drugs and alcohol. God help these fucking addicts, boy. Hey, you're listening to the Rovings of Acclaim this Tuesday, February the 19th, the year of our Lord, 2008. Got something to say about it? 646-502-8600 gets you live on the air with your old pal, uh, Espo and uh, Louie hanging in the Jester Radio chat room. Why not stop by and say hey? And uh, we've been getting complaints that there's not enough Wayne Rogers, so... I mean, uh, Wayne Newton. So here you go. Leave it right where it is. The love between the two of us was dying. And it got so bad I knew I had to leave. But halfway down that highway, when I turned around, I saw my little running after me Had to run to catch a train 
She had no way of knowing I was leaving home for good I turned around and there she was again As she said to me Daddy, don't you walk so Turn back home right there and then And try to start a new life With the mother of my child I couldn't bear to hear those words again She died and said Daddy, don't you walk so down some because you was making me run isn't that just the most pathetic little story you ever heard she's running after her daddy saying daddy don't walk so fast slow down some you're making me run and he's of course running away we can see our perspective our camera is from him we're looking at his face over his shoulder she's running behind of course holding the raggedy and all the requisite uh, Raggedy Ann doll, and she's got the black and white uh, shoes, and she's running, and he's, we could see Wayne Newton is crying, and she's, Daddy, why are you walking so fast? Slow down some. And I tell you, I'm dabbing my eye here. I don't really have a tissue, but I'm using a business card, and it's just, okay, I'll be fine. Talk amongst yourselves. Wayne Newton on Jester Radio. You're listening to the Ravings of a Clown. This Tuesday, February the 19th, the year of our Lord, 2017. What? Students at a, uh, in a University of Michigan biology project has been assigned to grow herbs, vegetables, annuals, and perennials. Police are trying to find out whether someone's green thumb also was being used to grow pot. The Ann Arbor News reports 11 small green plants believed to be marijuana were seized from a greenhouse that were just believed has not been confirmed. What they have to do is they have to go through a long chemical, they have to dry, and they have to expose it to heat and make the, and then somebody's got to smoke, you know, roll up and smoke a joint to see if it's marijuana. It was seized from a greenhouse in the school's uh, Mathai Botanical Gardens in Ann Arbor Township near its main Ann Arbor campus. Police say a school employee found the plants uh, yesterday on a table while monitoring the research project. He was monitoring the plants. He just was in monitoring, you know. Plants were mixed in with the project, which involves about 80 student samples. 
were sent to the Michigan State Police for testing. Apparently the cops have their own marijuana plant uh, testing uh, facility. So they sent it in there. And you know that all entire amount of marijuana will all be only used exclusively for testing. They'll just be they'll just be basically testing from during the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sure it will. South Carolina man is thankful for a DVD that ended up taking the bullet for him. Carlton County County Fire and Rescue Director Barry McRoy says he was leaving a Waffle House restaurant in Waterbury. You know, I've seen these places. I've never been inside a Waffle House. It just seems like it just seems like I have too many teeth to go in there. Is it me? He was leaving the Waffle House restaurant in Waterbury, South Carolina, on Saturday morning when two men ran in fighting over a gun. Police say a bullet hit one of the struggling men, shattering a window, and then hit McRoy. The bullet hit a DVD McRoy was carrying in his pocket. He had a DVD in his pocket. He suffered the bruise. Now, it doesn't say what the DVD was. I'm curious if it was like a bootleg. Maybe he made a copy. Why do you, who walks around with a DVD in their pocket? Was it a porno? He suffered a bruise but didn't realize he'd been shot. As he told police officers what happened, he noticed a bullet hole in his jacket, the shattered DVD case, and a piece of the bullet. I was saved by a DVD, McRoy says. How lucky can you get? One man was arrested on assault and battery and gun charges. The DVD was nicked. It was a gift from an employee who had recorded a TV show about fire extinguishers. Here you go, boss. I know how interested you are in fire extinguishers. They had a special on last night called, you know, The Extinguisher, Your Friend, to put out a fire. Thought you would like a copy of it. I made a copy on DVD. Maybe, I don't know. You enjoy it. Maybe it'd save your life. I don't know. Whatever. Enjoy, boss. His employee gave it to him. I can't make this shit up, folks. You know, I got two gorgeous little girls. I talk to them every day on the phone. I message them a few billion times a day. We I am all the time during the day. I see them whenever I can. It's not a lot, honestly. Obviously, I you know pay their bills and their cell phone. I mean, the older one, she makes a nice little check for herself, but it's just temporary. She'll be going back into medical school next year, and the bills will start up again. And uh, But I tell you, man, it's not the same. You know, having kids, you know, I'm really one of the only people in my peer group that, you know, did that traditional thing. Uh, S. Poe and Pry and Corey, you know, all those people, they just did not become parents and did not become family men. I did, you know, 19 years of the family man thing. And, um, but a lot of my peers didn't. It's unusual. And when I think back, all my parents' friends uh, that I grew up with, they also had kids. You know, those friends, my parents' friends, you know, it was all structured like extended family. They always called them uncle, you know, my uncle Al. He wasn't a, any relative of mine. He was my father's best friend from college. And he had kids. All my parents' friends had kids, and those kids were my cousins. 
And I still think of all those people as my cousins. It came as quite a shock to me later on in life, you know, when I started finding out and figuring out which ones were mine, you know, which ones weren't. How How is anyone related to me or not? Some were, some weren't. The, the, in my family, the lines between blood family and extended family were very, very blurry, which was a great thing, you know, as a kid. I had a huge family. I thought of myself as being very lucky. I had a lot of cousins and family. And I dug them all, you know. I mean, at least 99.9% of them. There was one or two. This was the, the, there was Uncle Harry, who never had a nice thing to say, and he was kind of like this big 600-pound thing with like a toothpick sticking out of his you know, mouth, and he was kind of grotesque. Now, once in a blue moon, you'll still catch Uncle Harry on um, a candid camera. He was a cab driver. Somebody said, hey, come into this phone booth and give my friend directions how to get to the airport. And when he got in, the, the phone booth went up and down. He started shitting a brick and screaming like a lunatic. That was my Uncle Harry the cab driver with the hat. He wasn't so fat back then, but he, you could tell he was pudgy. And he, he, had, you know, he had that look like it was coming. His clothes were loose. He was leaving room for the future. But nowadays, you know, I know a lot of folks that are opting out right up front. It's not like they would if they could, but they never got around to it. Like I reckon, you know, probably is what happened with S. Poe and Pry. Um, but I think nowadays more kids are deciding not going to do it, not going to have kids. And uh, while that may be a sort of a fashionable and almost, you know, probably responsible uh, thing to do, it makes you wonder, you know, what kind of world are we living in that people don't want to raise kids? It seems like almost, uh, um, you know, as somebody that raised two amazing girls, it seems like, seems like a big jip that folks uh, are getting jipped. I feel bad for them. I mean, I'm sure they feel like, hey, don't feel bad for me, Charlie. And I think to myself, my name's not Charlie. Don't call me Shirley. But... And, you know, uh, we're sort of graduating from this sort of... Uh, um, very sort of weird uh, public policy that we've had since the you know past few hundred years that everybody's children is everybody else's business, and I think we're getting more into this mentality that you know just like you're allowed to think whatever you damn well please, uh, you're allowed to raise your children however you damn well please, and if everybody thinks it's wrong, they can go fuck themselves because it's not their kids. And, um, you know, I think that's, you know, the way it should be. This idea that the, you know, the, the community, you know, sticks their nose into your, you know, up your ass and says, oh, we don't like the way you're raising these kids. Uh, you know, it's a very kind of religion, kind of Christian thing. Um, you know, where everybody's, you know, your business is the, is the community's business. And the head guy will tell you, you know, what's right and what's not right. What you'll tell your children, how you'll teach them. Don't worry, don't worry, I'm not playing the song. I'm playing an entirely different song. Child arrived the other day, came to the world in the usual way. 
child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away, and he was talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, "I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you." And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned ten just the other day. He said, "Thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play." Can you? I said not today. I got a lot to do. He said that's okay, and he walked away. But his smile never dimmed. It said, "I'm gonna be like him." Yeah, you know I'm gonna be like him. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. The little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Didn't you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, "What I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them?" Silver spoon, little boy blue, and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. Said I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids are the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. Silver spoon, little boy blue, and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Dad, we're gonna have a good time then. I don't know. With all the margaritas we buy, we can afford a child, honey. <laughs> And I'll go you one further. <laughs> and this is the one, folks. This is the idea that has made me virtually an anonymous figure in America for the last 16 years. <laughs> I have watched my crowds dwindle. I am going nowhere and nowhere quick. If you have children here tonight, and I assume some of you do, I am sorry to tell you this: they are not special. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Let's don't have any... Wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I know a lot of y'all are... What? What? I don't... Wait, wait. Let's be clear on this. I know you think they're special. <laughs> I'm aware of that. I'm just trying to tell you they're not. Did you know that every time a guy comes, he comes 200 million sperm? Did you know that? 200 million sperm. And you mean to tell me you think your child is special? Because one out of 200 million sperm, that load. We're talking one load. Connected. Gee, what are the fucking odds? 200, you know what that means? I have wiped entire civilizations off of my chest. With a gray gym sock. That is special. Entire nations have flaked and crusted in the hair around my navel. Maybe even Gidea. That is special. And I want you to think about that, you two egg-carrying beans out there. With that holier-than-thou, we have the gift of life. I've tossed universes in my underpants while napping. <laughs> Boom! A Milky Way shoots into my jockey shorts. Oh! What's for fucking breakfast? Even when the road seems long 
Just find that child inside of you Yeah, you gotta find you Spread your wings and fly To the brightest star If you want, I can even get my friend Steve To detail your car For like 20 bucks kind of gay but it doesn't seem that way through the eyes of a child the south park gang on jester radio bill hicks before that your children aren't special and harry of course keep the change shape and started that set with the uh, classic cats in the cradle he had become uh, uncle daddy to his kids and that song was written by his wife actually about him and, you know, he really took it to heart. Uh, he wrote that song, which became his biggest charter. And then he just uh, never saw his family again. No, I'm just kidding. But he was an alky. And he drank quite a bit, and he crashed his car. There is one Elvis impersonator who is definitely singing the blues after Tampa police charged him with fraud. Authorities say Elvis tribute artist Frederick Denmark told people that his house had burned so that they would organize a benefit concert for him. The concert held at the American Legion Post 138 in September raised more than 2000 bucks in cash, as well as they gave him clothes and household items. But there never was no fire. And now Denmark, 47, who performs under the name Fred Alberts, because it's Fred Alberts is so much better than, I guess, than Frederick Denmark is charged with felony organized fraud and felony grand theft. Oof. Felony organized fraud. He's free on $4,000 bail, so he had to actually post twice as much money as he made on the deal. (laughs) He made two grand, and they're going to throw him in jail for that. How do you like that? Man, that's got to hurt. He never thought that. He probably said something, you know, you know how these things happen? 
I see this all the time. Seriously. Uh, it's happened to me. Stuff like this happens to me. What happens is this. Some guy says, hey, man, you said you were coming to the movies the other day. What happened to you? You never showed up. Uh, and the guy goes, oh, yeah. Oh, um, uh, my, uh, and, but dude, don't tell me anything. Something serious must have happened because this is like the fifth time you fucked me. And then the guy's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. It was my house burned. I had a fire in my house. And the guy's like, no shit. Okay, well, you know, that's okay. That's reasonable. So then he goes and calls his friend. And he goes, hey, man, did you hear that fucking, you know, Joe, uh, his house burned down to the ground? And then the rumors start going around. Everybody feels bad about old Joe, you know, considering how they treated him like such shit recently. Because after all, he was a complete dick. And the next thing you know, they call somebody calls him up and goes, look, Joe, I know you're homeless. We want to give you some free clothes and some money. Come on by the, <laughs> we're going to give you a steak dinner. What do you say? Who's going to say no to that? And then a couple months down the road, they go, wait, there was no fire. Get him back in here. A homeowner in Vancouver has learned that using a, a pop can as a, Outdoor ashtray can be hazardous to your house. Fire Captain Kevin Murray said that the heat from burning material in the soda can set a plastic slide on fire, and then the flame spread to the back deck and then down the house. Damage from the fire on Sunday night has been estimated at $125,000. Nobody was injured. You imagine I use the fucking soda can as an ashtray all the time. Not even really sure how this happened. Burning material in the pop can, does that mean cigarette, previous cigarettes that he shoved in there? Or, 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 or was there kindling in there? And then what is a plastic slide? It set a plastic slide on fire. Does that mean like a sliding, you know, pond? That sliding, you know, thing like a, he had a little background playground. They so, just can't get good reporting uh, these days. Hey, you're listening to the ravings of a clown hanging with my buds in the Jester Radio chat room. Why not stop by at www.jesterradio.com? While you're there, click that donate button. Show us how you really feel. Help us out. Um, you know, the truth is, we still be doing this. Uh, every day, whether you uh, helped out or not. But, um, you know, it does cost us a good deal of money to stay on the air. And, uh, you know, your help would just make it, you know, something of yours. And uh, we really do appreciate when you uh, give. So click that donate button and show us how you really feel about us. It's, um, it's uh, something we, um, you know, really love it when you do that what else oh yeah we're talking about the kinder my parents were uh, both uh, um, raised in houses where uh, they spoke only Yiddish and English was a second language to both my parents and um, then they went on to use instead of you know this is why Yiddish died, because instead of passing on the language to their children, they used it as a secret language to have behind our backs. You know, part of the reason I'm so fucked up is I always feel so guilty about 
being so damaged about my childhood because I always feel like I should be grateful, you know, that I had a roof over my head and I was my I was very fortunate and had everything I ever wanted and was very, you know, my, my parents just lavished uh, all kinds of uh, ridiculous kind of wealth on us and yet I'm still <laughs> such an unappreciative dick and still so messed up in the fucking head. Um, you know, what's up with that? And I always feel so guilty uh, and bad about that. Like, you know, so many people around who had really, you know, they were fucked up the ass by their alcoholic fathers and they lived in a kind of torture and, a, you know, in a hell that I can't even imagine. How dare I whine about my, you know, privileged, uh, uh, you know, wealthy childhood. But um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help all the time. Sometimes I think that, and I think that maybe it'll sort of, you know, sort of like uh, snap me out of it. Sometimes it works, sometimes not so much. Because the truth is, you know, w w what was going on in my family, you know, it was like the Adams fucking family. And uh, it was, you know, subtle. Um, but it was it was all there nonetheless, and you know, don't just look at me. Look at my two brothers. Look at my two parents. You know, look at everybody in my family. They're all fuck fucking whacked. It's not just me. I'm just the um, I'm just the outward extension of that. Most of them are just, uh, you know very secret and private about it. So, you know, I'm hoping that my progeny won't pass that tradition along, but, you know, I'm on the other hand, there's lots of traditions that uh, I do hope that they'll pass along. I was just talking about my older one uh, this evening, Jester at number one. I was just talking to her this evening about how when you're not feeling well, how sometimes um, a good um, meal can make you feel better. She was feeling sick this morning, she said, because her birth control pills that she's using make her, make her nauseous. And, uh, and, I was, and we were talking about how when you stay home you know, from work or on a Sunday morning, sometimes I really miss our old family you know, Sunday morning bagels and locks tradition. And sometimes just eating a bagel... <laughs> Just eating the bagel, uh, you know, makes me feel that way because, you know, brings up all those memories. And let me tell you, in my house, I mean, the one that I raised my kids in, not the one that I grew up in, but in my house, um, we would spend like a good 15, 20 minutes designing the bagel. What we frequently did was we'd have a camera in the drawer. We'd whip out and take pictures of our bagels before we ate them. We just put so much work into them, you know. We're just just so much locks, and some people like capers on there. Some people like onions. Some people like tomato. Some people, you know, like all kinds of various uh, garnishment, different types of cream cheese, different styles of applying the cream cheese. And we used to love to have friends and family over to uh, indulge with the Sunday morning bagels and locks, and we'd have people who were not Jewish 
who uh, were, you know, sort of had to be initiated into the whole tradition, you know, taught how to, how to, and we had this one Hungarian friend, Laszlo, who would uh, come back to my house every time he came by. He didn't realize it was like a Sunday morning thing. He thought it was just like, I guess, like a Jew thing. So he came over to my house, uh, you know, like the next time I was like, yeah, you want to get a bite to eat? And he goes, yeah, I want one of those fish sandwiches you made for me last time. I said, I made you a fish sandwich? I'm thinking, what did I make him, a filet of fish? What, did we go to McDonald's? And uh, I realized he meant uh, bagels and lox. And, you know, if you're listening to me and you haven't tried bagels and lox, um, it seems like, you know, when you grow up with it, it seems like a no-brainer, you know. But when you think, when you think about it, it's a, it's a bread, a very high-gluten kind of dense bread um, with soft cheese on it and then fish on it and then another piece of bread. So it's an oddball kind of thing. It's actually a Nordic, uh, Eastern European thing. It came from the Russians. It was the Russian Jews from whom I'm descended that, uh, you know, created that dish. They just got it from the other uh, Polskis and Ruskis because they eat a lot of soft cheese and fish up there. You know what I'm talking about. And they love the smoked fish. And that's what lox is. It's salmon, smoked salmon. Raw smoked salmon. It's Jewish sushi is what it is. So I was pretty much done with the with the gesturette number one. Number two, she's pretty much in the hands with her mother unless, you know, something happens to her and I take over those responsibilities. I'll only be, you know, Uncle Dad now for the rest of her life probably. Uh, maybe a little more than that, but not much. There'll never be a u united home for them to go back to. So, but then again, you know, I didn't have that either. And they're still together. <laughs> so that's got nothing to do with me. And, you know, we don't have kids for any philosophical or, you know, emotional reasons. We do because we're chemically compelled to, like we do everything else. We just have to live with the consequences and rationales. We, we, we don't have to understand them. We don't have to, you know, understand the causes. We just have to live with them. 99% uh, of us don't understand a thing that's happening to us. The events in our lives sweep through us like hurricanes. We don't even see them coming and we don't even understand the, the, you know, effect that they have. People, you know, sort of wince when I tell them if I had it to do over, I would not get married because they say, well, then wouldn't that mean you would lose your children? And the answer is, I'm not, uh, 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 you know, if you're going to make up a fantasy about what I can undo, then I would not do it and still have the children. But the truth is nobody's offering such bargains. There is no opportunity to undo any of it with or without the children. And, of course, I never would undo my children, just for the record. I would never lose them, but mm, I guess I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know better. But in any case, it's not happening. There are no such deals to be had. And if you know of any, then I'd be you know, more than interested in hearing them. Please don't touch that dial. We'll be right back to say goodnight. Thank you.
Dakota's on Jest Radio. You've been listening to the Ravings of a Clown this Tuesday, February the 19th, the year of our Lord, 2008. Extra special thanks go out this evening to Louis and Espo and all those folks that stopped by the Jest Radio chat room, including you and you and you and you and you. I'm looking through that glass. I'm looking through that big glass and naming all your names. I see Stephen, and I see Luann, and I see Doris, and I see Andrew, and I see Roger, and I see Stanley, and I, you know what I'm talking about? Little romper room lady looking through that. And I always thought to myself, I would just pray that she would say my name. My heart was like coming out of my chest every day. I would pray that the romper room lady would say my name. And she actually did it one day. And my heart just soared. And those are the things I remember as a kid. I remember, you know, walking down the street with my old man for Halloween. My older brothers were too old to, to, to hang with me on Halloween. Uh, my old man was wearing a Casper the Friendly Ghost mask. And he was smoking a big old stogie through the hole in the mask. And he was holding my hand, and I looked up at him, and he looked like he was about, you know, 50 feet tall. And uh, he, he had that Casper mask on and the cigar sticking out. And I can't tell you, my, my heart was pounding out of my chest with pride. 
And that's a day I'll never forget as a kid. And I, and I remember one time coming in after it was snowing and building a snowman. Maybe I was, I don't know, four or five. It was before we moved to Great Neck. So I couldn't have been older than five. And I remember my mother saying, you know, you'll, rem you'll look back on this day when you're, you know, when you have children and you'll remember this day for the rest of your lives. And I said, you know, I was just this little tiny kid. And I said, really? Like, you know, like, A, how did she know? And B, what an amazing concept. Like, I'll have kids someday and then I'll remember this day. And my mother said, sure, why not? You know, whatever. But I did. I remembered that day for the rest of my life. I never forgot that day, only because she said it. She put the idea in my head. And I used to do that with my kids a lot. I used to say, wow, we'll remember this day, huh, guys? You know, well, you'll probably tell your kids about it. And now here they are. <laughs> my older one's 22, and she remembers everything. How do you like that? And, you know, I had this friend, this fr this girlfriend's best friend when I was a kid um, who was very strange but hot in a strange way. And she said she, I reminded her of um, um, God Bless the Child because it's about, you know, um, it's important for kids to, you know, have their own shit. And I had my own shit going for me. I was moved out of my parents' house when I was 17 years old. I couldn't get out fast enough. And uh, I remember her saying, you know, she admired that and that it was good to, you know, Papa may have and Mama may have, and that's good, you know. It's good for you if your parents are rich and they can take care of you. But if you're on your own, you're a kid and you're on your own and you got and you're taking care of yourself man that's the best thing because you don't owe shit to nobody rich relations come around and you can just tell them to suck your big fucking white ass hairy dick well maybe billy didn't mean it that you know specifically that way but thanks again for stopping by we will meet in that place where darkness never comes Till that time, Houston. Good night. See you tomorrow. God bless the child that's got his own. Them that's got shall get. Them that's not shall lose. So the Bible said, and it still is news, Mama may have, Papa may have, but God bless the child that's got his own, that's got his own. Yes, the strong gets more While the weak ones fail Empty pockets don't 
ever make the grade Mama may have Papa may have But God bless the child That's got his own That's got his own Rich relations give Crust of bread and such You can help yourself But don't take too much Mama may have Papa may have But God bless the child That's got his own That's got his own God bless the child The child